0: Hello, well, here we are, thank you. Hello, I'm Mike Cavus. I'm managing director with Deloitte, uh, the cloud program, and a lot of work I've been doing over the past couple years, uh, a lot of our clients are getting fairly mature in the cloud and they're starting to look at things like a new operating model, how do we run in the cloud? And Vanguard's a great example of that, so I thought it'd be great if we got them to talk about their experience as they you know, address you know, a cloud operating model. So I'm gonna let the, these folks introduce themselves, Jeff Dowds, Amory Facciolini. We'll start with Jeff. You introduce yourself. Tell us what you do.
1: Mike, we gotta go ladies first here, right? Okay. Go ahead,
2: Amory. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I'm um, happy to be here. I'm Amory Facciolini. I work in the CTO office. I'm a senior program manager responsible for our modern application development, best practices, tools, and architecture in the cloud. I also have responsibility for our runtime environment in the cloud.
1: Thanks, Amory. Uh, my name is Jeff Dowds. I, uh, I was playing the chief technology officer role up until about uh, two months ago, so for purposes of today, I'm still in that capacity. Uh, I'm in a, a, back into a delivery role uh, going forward, but uh, as, as the guy who used to run the chief technology office, uh, driving a lot of the transformation programs going on at Vanguard, I'm sure very similar transformations to what's going on in all y- your uh, firms, so uh, the cloud journey is uh, driven out of the uh, CTO office, getting to DevOps, getting to continuous delivery, uh, Vanguard trying to get its act together around machine learning and AI. So you know, all of those contemporary technologies to try to you know, produce a competitive edge for the firm are kind of CTO initiatives, and that's generally what I've been responsible for over the last five years. So this is what we're gonna
0: cover today, and I'll ask you to hold your questions till the end. We're gonna try to save. 10 minutes or so for questions at the end. Um, but we're, we're going to talk a brief history about Vanguard. First, we're going to let Jeff tell you, if you don't know who Vanguard is, tell you a little bit about who Vanguard is. Um, and then we're going to go into, you know, what's driving this change? Why do we need new operating models in this day and age? And then there's a lot of organizational impacts to that, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how do we deal with these barriers. And at the end, we'll, we'll say, okay, what would you, if you could do it all over again, what would you double down on, and what would you you know, ask for a mulligan for, and we'll hit that at the end. So with that, I'll let Jeff talk about, first of all, who's Vanguard, what do you guys do, and then we're going to talk a, a little history of their journey. But first, I just we were up here last year talking about their journey, and at the end, we were talking about lessons learned, and it really came from one of the questions from the audience about operating model, and Jeff's response was, I wish we would have spent more time on an operating model, and lo and behold, that's kind of the work we're doing this year, so I thought it'd be a great follow-up, you know, if anyone was lucky enough to be here, like, last year, this, okay, now we're, you know, we're attacking those lessons learned, and that's what this one's about. But why don't you tell us about Vanguard?
1: Okay, so uh, Vanguard's a mutual fund company, uh, a very large one. Uh, we're about a $5 trillion assets under management. We operate, uh, our headquarters is in Malvern, Pennsylvania, which is right next to Valley Forge. You probably haven't heard of Malvern. You am sure you've heard of Valley Forge. And I would suspect a lot of people are clients. So if you're a client, raise your hand at the Vanguard. So I'll first say thank you for your business. Uh, again, five trillion in assets, about 20 million clients. Uh, we used to be primarily domestic. So if you took the five trillion in assets, depend upon, you know, it can move uh, pretty substantially given what the markets are doing any given day. But probably about four and a half trillion is domestic money, so money in the US. Uh, the rest of the money is around the globe. Uh, we have a retail business that's north of a trillion dollars in assets. We have a defined contribution or 401k business that's uh, just about a trillion dollars. We have an advisory business that's, I think, somewhere around a trillion and a half. We have some other institutional assets in the States. And like I said, we have about a, uh, maybe about 500 billion around the globe. So we operate in Canada, we operate in South America, we operate, and, operate in Australia, we have offices. Uh, uh, in uh, London as well. So we operate throughout Europe, and uh, we're uh, getting started in places like China. So we're very much a global uh, asset management uh, firm. Uh, would not have been able to describe us that way probably as, as short as uh, 10, 15 years ago. So with that, tell us about your cloud journey. I
0: know you guys were originally in a private cloud, I think around two fifteen, you shifted to Amazon. Tell us that, about that story. Okay.
1: So, so we've had uh, some significant pivots uh, in our cloud journey, but uh, we got serious about cloud probably end of 14 uh, or so. And uh, back then, uh, we were thinking we were going to be hybrid cloud. I can remember attending Gartner conferences and whatnot, and, and you know, the, the, the speaker saying, hey, raise your hand if you're doing private cloud, 90% of the hands would go up. And uh, Mike, you remember back then, if you said raise your hand if you're doing public cloud, very few hands would have gone up. Obviously that, uh, that situation has pretty much switched and, and that's kind of what's happened at Vanguard. We were on our pri- hybrid cloud journey for about a year. We were prioritizing private cloud and then uh, realizing the, the difficulty and the challenges that that presented in terms of building out all that capability on-prem. And in the end, we were still probably, you'd still think of us as being in a provision model. We still had to provision the capacity for our peak processing days of the year uh, we had to, we would have had to have made em- enormous investments uh, in uh, building out the automated services that would de- deliver on the promises of cloud, and it quickly became apparent to us after a couple of our lead cloud architects uh, went to reinvent four years ago and started to understand the AWS story and what was going on, and uh, so uh, shortly after uh, you know our, our first uh, attendance at reinvent, uh, we did a serious pivot and said, hey. We're kinda of gonna move away from hybrid cloud. We're gonna go all in on public cloud. That led us to the, uh, well, what public cloud provider are you gonna use? And uh, if you guys all saw the keynote this morning, I don't know if the data has changed a lot, but AWS was obviously the big dog, the big player in public cloud computing, so it was a pretty easy decision. So uh, you know, I would say we're private cloud for about, about a year, and we've been all in on public cloud for about the last uh, three years. Let me see if I can give you a, a better bearing on maybe exactly where we are. So you know, if you're doing public, or public cloud, you're, you're probably approaching it much like us. Uh, minimal viable cloud implementation, we tried to establish some landing zones for certain types of workloads to get us started. You know, three and a half years ago, we didn't have one person probably on the payroll who was AWS certified. So uh, you know, we, we, we partnered with a, a boutique a consulting firm to help us get to the cloud. But uh, we picked two workloads uh, that were important to Vanguard. Uh, One was uh, uh, web workloads. We are a digital company, we're a virtual company. Uh, We have no bricks and mortars. You can drive all around the US you want and you can't find a Vanguard building to do business with. You basically work through through Vanguard through digital channels today. So getting web workloads prioritized uh, was important because we have huge client experience platforms that we need to host somewhere, and you know, we can choose to host them on-prem like we've been doing, or we could choose to host those at AWS. Again, probably like many of the firms in the room, we have a exploding uh, interest and investment in uh, analytics and machine learning and AI. So that was the second workload we decided to pursue. So get a minimal viable cloud footprint up and running Uh, And we were able to do that within about nine months of our our start on public cloud. And we've basically have put ourselves in a position to all new development work that comes out of our IT organization, starts and stays at Amazon. Uh, Obviously we have a huge volume of legacy software assets, but but anything new we build, uh, and about 60% of our IT budget goes to new development, All new software starts and stays at AWS. So that's actually an interesting dimension to our strategy. Uh, Probably the second pivot we made, if the first pivot was let's move away from hybrid and just go all in on public, the second pivot was, hey, most firms they go public, then they get into the how are we gonna lift and shift all these old legacy software assets and what's the best way of doing that? Uh, That's what we thought for about the first six months of our journey but, Mike, as you know, since you've been working with us throughout, uh, we've really moved into uh, only move refactored code to AWS. So anything we're running at AWS is cloud native. Uh, we're basically draining the traffic out of the legacy software assets that run on-prem and increasing the, the workloads that run at AWS. And uh, I think the best way to understand how engaged we are with AWS is to look at the bill. All right? Uh, so... You know, it's, it's getting quite, quite substantial. You know, we probably started our initial business on somebody's credit card in the organization, but we uh, recently entered into an enterprise uh, discount arrangement with AWS, so we, got a, we have a three-year commitment to do a certain amount of business with AWS, and uh, our, I'll wrap up our journey uh, so far with, our aspirational goal is by uh, June of uh, 2019, uh, just about eight months from now, Uh, Seven months from now, our plan is to run 100% of our e-commerce sites uh, activity uh, for what we call the critical clicks. All the the critical uh, functionality that clients need access to when they want to check out their balances or or trade in their funds. Our goal is to have all of that running at AWS uh, within about uh, uh, seven months or so. Uh, for Vanguard, just, just to calibrate, that's about two million log-ons a day. Uh, we're doing about three or 400,000 log-ons a day there uh, right now, uh, and that, that workload would be uh, in addition to all of the analytics and AI machine learning type of workloads that we run there. So that's, that's kind of where we are, and if you weren't here last year, you're all caught up.
0: <laughs> yeah, and at the, at the same time, you know, Vanguard's embracing the whole DevOps mindset, and as Jeff mentioned, they're trying to move cloud native, cloud native. they're embracing microservices, containers, serverless. So Anne-Marie, uh, your team's a big part of that, building the cloud platform. That's a lot of change to consume. Um, there's, a, there's a huge maturity scale in each one of those things. I mean, where do you, where do you start with this and how do you, how do you handle all that change as it's being thrown at you?
2: Well, that certainly is a lot of change, Mike. Um the change management aspect has been really important, and we've learned a lot as we've gone through these various pivots. In fact, there's uh, three main areas, I would say, we've had the most significant amount of learning. Um, One is in the operational space area. So, as we're building all these new capabilities that we want our app dev teams to take advantage of, we're in a good position. But as soon as they started using them, we found that there was a lot of questions coming our way. And the impact that was having on our, te- our cloud platform teams was that we weren't able to deliver new capabilities fast enough because we were having to deal with support issues. And, you know, that was something we needed to wrap our hands around quickly because when there was a true incident in the production environment, our mean time to repair was much higher than we wanted it to be. The other uh, big learning area for us was in the in the finance space. So, Jeff alluded to the bill growing. Um, I'd like to make an analogy to the learning we had there to parents dealing with children and leaving the lights on. So, how many of you have children? And how many of them leave the lights on, right? So, for years and years, app, de- app dev teams didn't have to worry about the cost to leave things running. And once we moved into the cloud, it became really important for them to think about not only the size of the infrastructure, but how long would it be running. There were times that we found uh, you know, EMR clusters running all weekend and no one was in the office. So it was really important to start educating the team about the difference in having a consumption model versus I, I a provisioned that, model. I
1: actually think there's a person in the front row who was actually leaving the water running, right, anne <laughs>
2: <laughs> There may be. <laughs> Maybe a few. Um, And then the third area, let's see, so uh, operations, support, and then the third area would be, I'm drawing a blank, um, operations, support, what would you say? Oh, uh, build for failure. So throughout my couple of days here at reInvent, I've heard folks from AWS say, like, failure's going to happen, right? So you got to be prepared for it. So that's not something that we were... Uh, Reinforcing with our development teams. So it became really important to think about resiliency and build for failure.
0: And and that's a big difference in operations when you're expecting servers to always be there when you don't care if they're
1: there or not. You're building for them to actually fail and and restart. Hey, Mike, I just want to pile on here a little bit. Uh, You know, when you talk about these these three learning moments we had, um, when we were early in our journey and we're just building our cloud footprint, you don't really have anything running. You're just trying to put yourself in a position to get, get some things running. So you're enabling things, you don't, you don't really have production running and dealing with the you know day in day out um, challenges of, of, of what production workloads can mean. And also when you're, when you're early in your cloud program, we had very few people skilled and trained and knowledgeable about what you could do at AWS. So I felt uh, we quickly went from a small elite team trying to just establish a presence to, all of a sudden, we had a presence. We started to run things. Rather than having three people at reinvent, we got 150 people reinvent, and we started to become overwhelmed with the curiosity of all of our app dev product teams. People would come to reinvent and understand all of the services that AWS offers, much like when they hear about all the innovation that comes out of the keynote this morning, uh, they would come back to the cloud engineering team with expectations to... You know, when are we going to get a lot of those services made available to us to do innovation on? Uh, so when you combine all that, that tsunami of additional innovation work that would come from the app dev teams because so many more people were trained and qualified with AWS, along with the operational challenges of actually dealing with production workloads running, I, I think it was clearly one of the things we learned that we, you know, we kind of undershot on planning for that type of demand.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing you mentioned, like, 2014 you had a few people here, 2015 you probably had a couple dozen, now you got hundreds, but you've also been speaking, you had speakers, six, seven presentations a year now. It's amazing to see from no cloud experience to three years later, kind of experts up here speaking at reInvent, so pretty impressive stuff. So next slide. So what are some of the drivers for a new operating mode? Why do we, why do we need to rethink how we organize? So. This, this slide shows a bunch of technical reasons, um, but, Jeff, my question to you, you, you've always had this you build it, you run it mindset. Why is
1: it so important to rethink the operating model as we move to the cloud? Yeah, so, so Mike, uh, you know, build it, run it is obviously uh, you know, a concept everybody in here has heard about. Uh, we often refer to it as think it, build it, run it. Uh, and then uh, at this conference, I got a text from somebody else in the front row here and said, hey, it's not think it, build it, run it, it's think it, build it, run it, and optimize it. Because uh, once you're running, you find out how costly things can be. So uh, you know, why are think it, build it, run it, optimize it teams so important? Uh, clearly, uh, you know, in the spirit of DevOps, if you, are, if you are building stuff and handing it off to a production center of excellence or an operational organization Uh, As a dev team, you're interested in getting your software out the door, building feature for your business partners. But if you are a DevOps team and you are responsible for the operational uh, aspects and the resiliency of the app, and you're actually responsible for monitoring its health in production, you have a very different mindset in terms of uh, how you build a thing if you're going to have to support it. So we are, are, again, are all in on think it, build it, run it, uh, the concept and we think uh, the run it aspect of that is what will influence app dev teams' behavior uh, to build a much more resilient team. So you know, that, that's, that's kind of you know, the DevOps dimension to that. Uh, to me, uh, you know, the, the other thing about think it, build it, run it, full stack teams, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little more about this later, is uh, we see those teams as actually being led by product owners and product owners who reside in the business. And uh, we see that as, uh, you know, leading to some significant organizational change, but we, we can hold off on that for a little bit.
2: What I would add to that, Mike, is that as we ask app dev teams and platform teams to deliver capabilities faster and to take advantage of all the innovation that the cloud offers, we can't be waiting anymore for, or, you know, putting in tickets to various systems to get things done. So that's one of the primary reasons I see us needing to move into a new operating model.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I've found over the years is when you do these TCL analysis at the beginning, one thing those fail to mention is that once people catch wind of the cloud, they demand like many X more than... (laughs) So that apples app comparison blows away because now people can get stuff done so much faster and get access to infrastructure so much faster that the demand rises, and I think... That's the one thing I, I see a pattern in working with a lot of clients over years is they do the strategy piece, they do get to the cloud piece, and then they get overwhelmed with requests for more. Right. And then an operating model is like the next thing everyone works on. It's like, okay, yeah. the old model's not working here. I, I need to respond so fast.
2: Yeah, that came up this morning, and I'm not going to sing it, but I think it, the uh, phrase was, I want it all, and I want it now, yeah. right?
1: That's pretty relevant. Yeah. And Mike, I think uh, you know we, we throw the term operating model or operational model around fairly loosely, it's uh, like we like to say, it's kind of a loaded term. What, what do we really mean when we say you know the operating model? You can think of that in terms of how you organize. And uh, again, I'm sure Vanguard is like most of the firms in the room here today. We have a lot of old stuff, and we have uh, you know, a lot of new stuff being built. Uh, the, the legacy software assets operate one way, and the new software assets operate a different way. So, for anything new we're building, we try to be in continuous delivery mode. You know, full-blown DevOps. Um, so, you know, CI/CD pipelines running in the cloud, full-stack teams, um, shifting left your testing, shif- shifting left your security validations uh, are all very much characteristics of the new software assets. But if you log on the vanguard if you know all the people raise their hand if you you leave here today and today is a good day to log on right market's up 600 points so if you want to go check your balance out today's a good day to do that but if you if you if you leave here today and you log on if you're on your mobile phone right now and you log on you're going to you're going to log on into our legacy monolithic uh, uh, personal investor website to, to check out your stuff and you know that's that's a that's an 80 million line monolith that we are aggressively refactoring. Megalith, you call it a megalith. A pegalith.
2: megalith, yeah.
1: You know, the, so that, that runs on prem and the operating model, for, you know, it's on a release train, right? We add, we don't add feature daily, we add feature quarterly or even less at times. Um, it runs on prem, it's not in the cloud. Uh, the change management around that is very different. Uh, so so I do, you know, while I don't really like the term bimodal uh, it really is a bimodal type of operating model. There's, there's the way you operate for your old software assets, and then there's the way you operate for your new software assets. And while you'd like to have one, uh, it, it's just not practical for, for cloud-based software assets.
0: So, obviously, as you start looking at new operating model, you know, this is beyond technology. This is organizational structures, process. So there's a, there's a lot of Challenges with that, right? And I, again, doing a lot of work in this space. We, we often leave clients with three swim lanes of work. This is what you need to do technology. This is what you need to do people. This is what you need to do process. And we come back a year later, and all the tech's done, and none of the other stuff's done, and a lot of the same problems exist. So this is the hard stuff, right? It's easy to put on a PowerPoint. Here's the roadmap for, you know, organizational change. It's hard to do it. So my my question to you, Jeff, is, you know, what are what are some of the key hurdles to making this change? And why is it so critical in the long-term success of the cloud journey?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna speak a little bit about the organizational aspects of changing when you go cloud or when you go continuous delivery. And um, so m- my personal thinking here is evolving as I sit here, all right? Uh, but uh, you know, having been in IT for quite a long time, 42 years, uh, when I reflect on every one of those years and I think of an IT organization, you got a CIO, you got the app dev guys, and you got the operations guys. And, uh, you know, is that the way it's going to be for the next 40, 50 years? Uh, it just seems like it's going to be different to me. So if I were to talk about the app dev side of the shop first, um, full stack, two pizza teams, operating in a continuous delivery mode, led by a product owner, I don't necessarily see those groups residing in an IT organization going forward. I see the two pizza teams assimilating into the business units, being led by product owners. They, they evolve from being very project focused in their work, did you get your projects done? We've all been op- operated in that mode forever, to did you produce the business outcome that a particular business unit is pursuing? So uh, I, I see a radical change uh, in the way app dev teams are organized going forward. And I know, I know some firms are already there. Uh, in New York City recently, we were talking to AWS, and, and if, I, if I say, hey, you know, your business guys and your IT guys, and I ask a question, the they, first thing they do is look at you kind of funny and say, well, we don't have business in IT. We just have business, and the IT guys are in the business. So I think that's, that's one of the big changes that uh, happens as a result, uh, you know, in terms of you know, a new operating model or a new org model, is that the app dev guys are gonna morph or evolve out of working in an IT organization, but being responsible or being basically led by, by the business going forward. When, when you flip the coin over and you look at it from an operational or shared services perspective, again, uh, you know, ev- every big firm has an infrastructure or a data center organization. But that's what AWS does for you going forward, right? They have the facility, they supply the capital. Um, You have to rethink how you think of data center. So um, I think you you evolve into a platform organization where your services are really capabilities that you acquire from AWS. Um, Those capabilities are all accessible through APIs, they're all software enabled. So all of the platform teams uh, that you know, used to be infrastructure, I think they're two pizza teams as well. And I think they should be operating in continuous delivery. Uh, if, you, if you talk to AWS and you inquire about how they're structured, um, you know, all of their services, they have two pizza teams, uh, platform teams underneath those. They operate in a dev- full DevOps mode. They're, they're continuous delivery. It's kind of business and IT together. So, uh, you know, I don't take this literally, but in, in my new role as an app dev delivery guy again, I feel I'm gonna be successful if in two or three years I kind of work my way out of an assignment because I have worked with my business partners and I have moved the app dev resources under their control. And if, if, I, were running, if I were personally running a data center, I'd be trying to work my way out of a traditional data center business and more into a platform operation and uh, whether you're building business apps or whether you are working on AWS platforms, uh, it's all software, right? Software is eating the world, it's all software. So uh, all the, there, it's just two pizza teams on platforms that enable app dev teams to innovate or it's two pizza teams working on the business apps. And uh, I think obviously those types of groups are still in an IT organization going forward but it's not this hierarchical, militaristic type of structure. It's more of a team-of-team approach where all the teams can kind of interact uh, without kind of going up and down the chain of command.
0: So let me place some of that back to you, because there's always gonna be mainframes, there's always gonna be stuff that doesn't go to the cloud, so you're gonna have traditional operating model for for data center type activity. You're gonna have uh, operating model for platform as a service, whether, you know, building your platform to enable your business and then the actual development is going to be more of a, a business model. Does mm-hmm. that come up what you're saying? And I think one of the things we talked about earlier is a lot of companies want to stick to a single operating model, mm-hmm. and and when they do, they default to the old one, mm-hmm. right? And the old one is more data center-centric. So the question to you, Emery, is do you have some examples of your where your platform team has kind of been slowed down or couldn't go as fast as you wanted to because of legacy processes that are different than how you do things in the cloud.
2: Sure. Um, As I mentioned, I run a runtime operations team and some of the processes that served us well in the past no longer serve us well in the future. And some examples might be putting in requests to get access, for example, to certain databases that we wouldn't otherwise you know, it wouldn't otherwise be as important as it is today. Another example might be having to put in a firewall request using various different, you know, various ticketing systems. So those are just yeah. two examples that, you know, in the moment can slow down uh, innovation and mean time to repair.
0: Yeah, and that's why we always say, you know, technology part's easy. I've seen too often where even though you can do a build in a couple minutes, it still takes, you know, 30 to 60 days to get stuff deployed because, you're, you're going on a model that, as you say, served you well, but when you used to deploy quarterly. Right. So there's all these meetings, there's all these things. And a lot, of the, a lot of what people are looking for in those meetings in this new age is just metadata you can attach to your virtual machines. And so you could automate a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. But that's, that's the big challenge I see, you know, as a consultant working with a lot of companies is, if you only address the tech, you're only going to get so much agility. You really have to look at the whole value stream and, and look and see. It's okay to have those processes for the stuff you're still doing in the data center, but the cloud's a different story. You know, you're know, you mutable infrastructure versus structure, infrastructure that's there, so you really need to rethink that.
2: Yeah. Hey, Mike, um, one thing I would add is, is, is culture, right? So yep. the mind shift change. So we talked a little bit about the, the um, provision model versus the consumption model. That's just one example of something that you need to think differently about. Um, how do you do that in a large enterprise organization? It's difficult.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and,
2: that's, and, I mean, and that's what we're working against right now and trying to educate people about how operations in the cloud are different. You, wanna, you want speed. You want innovation. You're delivering continuously. We shouldn't be holding ourselves hostage to a lot of legacy processes we had previously.
0: So question for you, Jeff. So a lot of the things that we're talking about don't mean a whole lot to the business, right? Continuous delivery, <laughs> microservices, containers, platforms. So part of this mind shift change is changing the mind shift of the business as well. Like if you want the product team to own developers, they need to care about resiliency, right? Not just the new feature. So how do you go about getting them on board with these plans?
1: Well, um, so, Mike, you said there a continuous delivery, You know, it might not mean something to the business, but they if you say continuous delivery is about you know, delivering, continuously delivering value to your customers, they get that, right? right. So, you know, are you selling DevOps? Are you selling cloud? I don't think you're gonna to go to your business and say, hey, let's go DevOps or let's go cloud. They, they probably are pretty indifferent about that. But if you said, hey, would you like to deliver value to your customers faster and continuously, they're all in on that. Um, and they probably don't understand what that means. Uh, like IT, they have been programmed to be on the release train and you know, they launch programs, they launch projects, they schedule out releases and they expect things to be delivered by certain times and success is often defined as, hey, did you get your project work done? So you know, at Vanguard for years, we have measured success as did you give me the scope? Did you work within your budget? And did you get the stuff done on time, right? Uh, you know, going forward in a continuous delivery mode, we're evolving to a completely different set of metrics, and again, this is that bimodal aspect, you got, you got a lot of old software assets that are in that release train mode, but all the new stuff, you know, to us, the key metric is deployment frequency, uh, and uh, so we're, a, we're avid readers of all the popular books, we are very much embrace some of the key metrics. They come out of the latest book, Accelerate, and I'm sure that book's been talked about mm-hmm. in various sessions here at, at AWS. But we believe that if you get the deployment rate up, a lot of other good things happen. If you go faster, uh, there's, you'll, you can infer from that that other key metrics are moving in the right direction as well. So if you go faster, pretty good chance your cost to build will be less. If you go faster, you're probably gonna be embracing microservices, So what you build will cost less, and what you deploy will have a smaller blast radius. So that has a positive impact on resiliency. Again, if you go faster and you're building things that are smaller, the odds that you can successfully test that 100% through automation is much greater than when you're dealing with megaliths or monoliths. So we, we view all of those important metrics as moving in the right direction if you can just get your deployment rate up so uh, we often joke at Vanguard, uh, get to one a day. Uh, if you're a two-piece of team, get to a whole number, right? Because everybody's kind of at a fraction. I mean, we, we, do have, we, do, we do have maybe eight or 10 two-piece of teams that would raise their hand and say they're deploying daily, uh, but uh, the majority of the teams are just trying to get to a whole number. Uh, you know, think about it, if you're, deploying, if you're deploying monthly, right? So you're, you're deploying 12 times a year. Uh, you guys can do the math in terms of uh, how far away from a whole number that is. So um, deploy, deployment frequency becomes a key metric, get deli- continuously delivering value to the customers. Uh, you know, if you're good at getting that metric operational, then, then measure um, lead time to put features in front of clients, right? Because obviously you should be going fast. You should be getting value out quicker. Um, you know, another key metric that we're interested in is mean time to repair, Right, Amory mentioned earlier, it's challenging when you have a problem with a monolith to kind of troubleshoot it and, and get a repair uh, patched and installed. Whereas, obviously, when you're dealing with microservices, a lot of that is, uh, is easier to do. So, deployment frequency is a, is a really, really strategic metric for us going forward.
0: Okay, so I think you just may have stole some of Amory's thunder in the next slide. I was to ask her about what are some of those key metrics. Um, that you can show success. But this one's about dealing with barriers. And a big part of dealing with barriers is proving it, right? Yeah. It's, it's easy to show PowerPoints to everyone all day, but you actually have to prove it, you have to have successes with the business. And it's one thing to, hey, we set up a platform, but if the business doesn't get any value out of it, what good is it? So um, the questions you here are going to be around how you've gone about evangelizing, but the one thing I want to point out is I was at your guys' office the other day, we're in a meeting room, and I looked up, they got a lot of stats on the wall. And I, I've been there on and off for a few years now, and I saw the frequency of deployments, and I was like, wow. You know, I, I was impressed. So I imagine for people who have been there for 20 years or used to doing query releases, mm-hmm. there's some impressive numbers. So what are some of those metrics that you guys are sharing to show, hey, we're having success, we're moving forward to cloud, and what are maybe some of those conversations we're having, whether it's, internally or externally to business is showing, hey, we're moving the needle here.
2: So the metric that Mike's referring to is deploys per day. So Jeff mentioned the goal for each two pizza teams once per day. At a macro level, we're seeing about 12 deploys into production a day. And that's up from zero, you know, about, uh, what, 18 months ago, perhaps, Jeff, when we started the journey? Um, other metrics would be builds into our non-prod environment. We're in the thousands, so we're constantly doing builds.
0: I think that was the one that I was like, that was wow. the one that yeah.
2: that surprised yeah. you, and then we're also um, counting the number of web apps and services. So we are aggressively trying to break down that megalith into a microservice architecture. So we're seeing um, upwards of about three hundred microservices right now, and. I don't know, 50, 60 web apps perhaps, and that, those numbers are growing exponentially.
1: And on, and on a base of uh, you know, an organization delivery size of about 3,000 people, uh, permanent crew members, overseas work, and uh, you know, contractors, uh, I'd say we probably have maybe 3,000 people involved in app dev delivery. Mike, we got about uh, maybe 50, 60% of the teams Operating, participating in the new way of building software—whether right? you want to call that the continuous delivery way or the DevOps way. So, um, you know, again, three years ago, you say, "Hey, raise your hand if you're doing continuous delivery." Nobody raises their hand. You know, raise your hand if you're doing—you know—if you can get to a deploy per day, nobody's raising their hand. So, we are—we we do feel very good about the traction we have and the progress we've made. But uh, you know, like the Accelerate book says, the best-in-class firms. Uh, they're doing multiple deploys per day. They're, they're beyond a whole number. So, uh, you know, that's where we aspire to get to. I think the important thing to point
0: out here is, when we talked about culture change, is even if you could have deployed daily three years ago, you, the perception of the risk involved right. with that was great. So there were mm-hmm. some cultural hurdles to overcome to even make that a reality. How, how do you overcome those, right? Maybe it was a, the get-to-yes type if anyone wants to talk about that.
2: Well, I think you have it there on the slide, right? The prove it with incremental wins. So anybody who's been in IT for any period of time knows when you put up a large release and there's a problem, there's a scramble to do a, a rescue and get a fix elevated quickly. For us at Vanguard, That would involve, you know, it could involve about 100 different people because not only would you have to code the fix, it would have to go through a test environment, there'd be multiple manual regression tests that have to be run both from the uh, developers themselves and then A business team would also do some certification. Then it would have to be deployed by an entirely another group. So I mean, we're talking about 100 people at any given time, which could take anywhere from 24 to 48 hours to accomplish. We've had examples um, within the last year where teams have elevated something, they've discovered a problem, and within two to three hours, they elevate a new fix. Don't need to call anybody, don't need to bring in lots of different people to run, manual regression, it's become that easy. And I think telling that story over and over again, especially when the product owners start to say, wow, boy, that was quick, it really starts to drive the momentum.
0: And I think that was the carryover when you start talking about we're going to get to this place, we're going to deploy frequently. All people thought about was the pain in the old way. Right.
1: And, you know, let's prove it, right? You had to mm-hmm. go out and prove it. Yeah, look, I think as you guys know, the CI CD pipeline is key here, right? So um, you know, your, your ability to, to deploy fast uh, isn't possible unless you have a robust CI CD pipeline. Amory's team is the one that produces that. Uh, we were feeling good that we had a pipeline. Uh, what, we, what we came to realize pretty quick is we had a pipeline that worked for web apps. And so you had all these people doing analytics work and so forth. And, we didn't have a CICD pipeline that worked for the type of code artifacts that they were authoring. And then even the, the cloud engineering team in my own organization, we write a lot of infrastructure as code. So you know, we wanna do everything in an automated way. We didn't have a, didn't have a pipeline for our own code artifacts. So um, it would be nice to have a code agnostic pipeline, a pipeline that worked for all types of code that's being authored. But uh, certainly, um, uh, you know, whether it's a single pipeline or multiple pipelines, you need a pipeline to get the deployment frequency up and so forth. But uh, I think uh, one of the interesting differences that we have at Vanguard is when you talk about the old way of operating, you know, we're a heavily regulated asset manager. Um, we've got a lot of legacy software that has huge blast radius. And when you have problems, it can be kind of catastrophic from an availability perspective. So whenever we're in critical periods of the business, like the busy season, you know, leading up to April 15th, all you guys are trying to get your IRA contributions in, it's very busy at Vanguard. Uh, January 1st, I don't know what it is about January 1st, but retail clients like to log on and start doing their taxes uh, after a New Year's Eve night out. I'm not sure what yeah. the connection is there, but it's a really busy day. It is you not-
2: some, some machine learning on that. Yeah,
1: it, it is not
2: uncommon. <laughs>
1: For the busiest day of the year in terms That's of log ons right. being January 1st. So, because we know they're busy days, what do we do? We operate in a very traditional way. We freeze change. We don't freeze change for January 1st. You know, you, you freeze it three weeks in advance and for two weeks following. And, you know, when you, when, you, when you reflect on, you know, you want to do continuous delivery, you know, we're all advocating that, but if you, if you are freezing change, uh, you know, 20% of the days in a calendar year, how do you operate in continuous yeah. delivery mode when you got these you know, policies that are basically been engineered for traditional data center availability? So the CICD pipeline, again, becomes really important here. We have an understanding with our operations organization that if you push your code artifacts through the pipeline, there's confidence that that code is clean, that it's uh, been technically and functionally tested So when Vanguard is under a freeze, if you are operating in CD mode and using a pipeline, you're excluded from the freeze. So it's, uh, you know, know, your business is motivated to get to the new way of uh, building stuff, and uh, obviously all the developers uh, prefer to get into that model as well.
0: Yeah, that's incentive to get people on board right there. Yep. So the the last set of questions I I think are the funnest. So, So, Three years later, three plus years later, you roll it back, you're gonna if you could start over, what one thing would you double down on and do again? And what one thing would you take a mulligan on and say, Well, I wish we would have done it this way. We'll let Amory start.
2: Yeah, I think our perspectives on this might be a little bit different. Um, from a what would I double down on perspective, I would probably want to double down more on the automation. So certainly we've been using, you know, as Jeff alluded to, infrastructure as code. We've been taking advantage of automation as much as possible, but as our clients have demanded more, uh, we have not always, you know, in the interest of getting the product out, done the automation that we should have done, and therefore have created technical debts for some of our teams. So I would probably double down on the importance of doing the automation up front.
0: Would some of that include creating more tools?
2: Some of that might be creating more tools, So for, as Jeff alluded to in the pipeline space, mm-hmm. for example. We've got a great pipeline for uh, custom software artifacts, but in the analytics space and in the infrastructure as code space, not as robust.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So de- definitely an area that we want to work to improve and I would have doubled down on earlier.
1: And using technology like Act Dynamics to enable developers to monitor the health of their apps and production is another good example of, uh, you know, we probably should have been on that journey a little earlier, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And then as far as... What would you want a mulligan on? So, a mulligan, I would probably go to change management for this one, right? The move to the cloud is not just the technology. Organizational
0: change management?
2: Organizational yeah. change management, yes. So, the move to the cloud is not just the technology, it is the people and the process. And I would have probably pushed harder on getting an ecosystem in place. To support the process and people change up front, because we're struggling with that a little bit now, but making really good traction.
1: Yeah, so um, you know, we were preparing for this yesterday. Uh, you know, what would I? Uh, what would I? We're having a dispute of what would you do over versus what would you take a mulligan on, and is there really a difference? But uh, so whether I don't know if it's a if it's a mulligan or what would I double down on? We. I thought one of the good things we did, uh, maybe about a, a year in our cloud journey, at our first pivot, um, when we decided to go public, uh, you know, IT senior staff uh, needed to commit to that. Right, the guys that run the data centers, the guys that are in the CTO, the guys that are in the app dev shops. We needed to be all in, uh, in order, and it became our rally. We said, "Hey, public cloud is our rallying cry. That's our number one priority." And I think that really helped us get aligned. Mike, you, you briefly alluded to something called getting to yes. Everybody was afraid to go public cloud because security is the boogeyman, right? Hey, you're running in a multi-tenant environment. How could that be as safe as running workloads behind your own firewall? So getting all the critical stakeholders at Vanguard to kind of be comfortable with running uh, in the public cloud uh, was, was, you know, including the CISO and so forth was, was really important. So we, we got that commitment. Uh, that was two, three years ago, and I, th- I think what I would say I doubled down was getting that continuous commitment. So you're in a room and you agree, hey, we're going public cloud, we're all in. Let's all adjust our behavior and do what we need to do. But then everybody goes back and to their regular jobs. The app dev guys are distracted by getting their delivery commitments out. The operations is, uh, you know, dealing with the 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 challenge of having good availability Monday through you know seven days a week. Uh, you know, while you know your, your cloud guys are building out cloud, so I think I would double down on trying to continuously, uh, you know, re-up the commitment of uh, you know getting to cloud as a priority. And uh, you know, I, I would uh, my closing comment here would be, you know, why is getting to cloud a, uh, such a priority? Um, this this is a I don't know if this is pivot three or certainly an aha moment for myself. When I was when I was sitting in the keynote last year, and I reflected on this with the podcast we did with you yesterday, Mike. Um, when Jassy was, you know, I felt like today was a replay of last year from the music and the dancer and everything, right? If you've been were here last year, but um, but when I was sitting there last year, you know, and I started thinking like, Hey, Vanguard, start thinking we're a big mutual fund company. We're digital. Start thinking of us as a platform. Um, you know why? Why go cloud, right? Three and a half years ago, we were going to go cloud because we wanted to save some money, right? We thought we could, we could run cheaper. Uh, then we evolved into, well, we can go faster, we can deploy faster, because in the cloud, everything we can, we can put into an automated implementation. So, hey, it'll be cheaper, and we can run faster. That's why I would do cloud. But it dawned on me last year, and it's reinforced this year, that the real reason you go cloud is because of the access to the innovation. When you, when, you, when you see all of the services that are available in the public cloud compared to what you have on-prem, right? You, you know, to think, to, to try to bring the breadth and depth of the machine learning and AI capabilities you heard about today, and you just heard about the new stuff today, right? But if you take everything that AWS has to offer, and you said, hey, let's have similar capability behind our firewall, it's not doable, mm-hmm. right? So. It's, it, it, if you're a firm and you're plugging yourself into kind of on-prem data center capability and you're trying to compete in the digital age and you're another firm and you're plugging yourself into the public cloud, I don't think it's a fair fight. I think we know who's gonna win that, that battle, all other things being equal. So uh, you know, innovation, it's, it's not that we pivoted in, our, in what we were doing, but we certainly pivoted in our motivations about why public cloud is so important.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and the pricing, it, to me, going to cloud to save money makes sense when you're consolidating or closing data centers. But the reality is, when you get to cloud, you're gonna do more, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're comparing, we used to spend this and we expect to spend that, you can throw it out the window because of the agility and innovation, you can do more. And if you think about some of the announcements, I mean, I could stand up without hiring tons of people, without knowing machine learning, right? Without being a data scientist, I could build some pretty cool stuff right now, tomorrow, in a test environment. It's, it's amazing. You know? mm-hmm. So It's really hard to conceive. So we got a good 11 minutes left for questions. Uh, I'll ask that whoever has a question, we get a mic in front of them, because all I see is lights. I can't see people. <laughs> so any questions out there, can we get a mic over
1: here? I okay. Okay, we'll repeat the question, too. Yeah, lines of businesses, Yeah. So I'm guessing each one of those lines of businesses have a bunch of applications in that portfolio. Is everything currently on AWS, or are you still in that journey? Yeah, so good question. So, Can you will uh, take question? Yeah, I'll yeah. clarify. So the question was, talked about our lines of businesses. So we got retail, we have institutional, we have global, and so forth. Uh, and then what percent of our app apps for those lines of businesses are in the cloud? Um, so... We support web workloads. We support analytic workloads. If it's old software assets that we've been, that, that's been in place for the last 15, 20 years, they're still on-prem. We really don't have a strategy to move that stuff. Our strategy is to refactor it and basically you know, take the traffic out of those. So uh, if you said, what percentage of our apps have moved, it's probably a reasonably low percentage. But when we get to 2,000 and... Mid 2019, if you said what percentage of the web traffic has moved for e-commerce sites, we could have, we, we we may not have actually moved any legacy web apps, but we could have moved 80% of the web traffic. So we're more about moving the traffic and the processing cycles mm-hmm. than we are about moving the workloads, the old legacy assets. Uh, those legacy assets essentially will have the life drained out of them, and we won't need them anymore. So, um, you yeah, know, we're we're feeling pretty good about uh, the volume of work that we'll be running at AWS. And again, the best measure of that uh, is to look at your monthly bill.
0: One thing I'd add to that, it's really the amount of value you move to the cloud, right? So a lot of people look at apps, and I think the pivot that you guys did, which was the first time I've seen it, and I actually coach other companies to do it, is you looked at consumption. What's, what, what's burning all these servers? Why do I need all these mm-hmm. servers? Well. If I look at these twelve services and I move those, I can get a lot of business value, Mm I can shut down a lot of stuff, which was a that was a pivot, but it was a total different way of thinking than I have a thousand apps, how do I get them here? Right. Next question. Yep. What happens? How do you manage cascading effects of that, that issue? it's not just down, it's actually defective and it cascades into other teams other products.
2: How do you deal with that? So I think your question is: if I have a if I built a microservice that's utilizing the CI CD pipeline and it caused it, it, there's a failure that causes a cascading failure someplace else. Yeah. Well, typically what we would do in that case is, is rally around a crisis call. And depending on whether or not that dependent service was in the CI CD pipeline, it could result in us having to do a monolithic type release. But our goal is to move, you know, decompose that megalith, like we said, into the microservices and start to eliminate those uh, dependencies as best we can so that we can avoid situations like that. Pre-um- yeah. Thank you. a question. Oh,
1: you take that one. <laughs> you love know, yeah. people. Um, so we had this question last year, and I, I joked back then the way I'm going to joke, we, we affectionately call them the no police, right? So security, legal, compliance, and look, they're there as critical stakeholders to make sure you run your workload safely. Obviously, if they weren't there, we'd all get in a lot of trouble. So they, they play a vital role. Um, we had this rallying cry getting to yes where Um, We need to get those critical stakeholders to say, get comfortable that you could run workloads in the cloud um, safely. So I actually give my boss some credit here. When we we talked about getting to yes, he actually gave that responsibility to the CISO. So the, the number one no police was usually the security guys, right? So he said, you figure out how to get comfortable with running workloads in the cloud, and then the legal, the compliance, the data governance guys kind of all came along with that. So um, it's an ongoing, you know, we got to yes, that we could do it, but every time we introduce a new service, every time we introduce a new workload, you gotta kind of repeat getting to yes. But, uh, but I, I think the, the key is to get your CISO to lead that effort and uh, I think that's a, that was a good lesson we learned. Well, I 'm not going to answer the first one <laughs> um, I think AWS is happy all right Vanguard's unhappy how's that but, uh, but uh, the guy sitting two rows in front of you is the guy that uh, monitors the bill right he's directly in front of you two seats and I think your question the question was uh, you know what percentage of the the bill um, is associated with uh, say shared services type accounts uh, so um, uh, Tim, feel free to add, jump in here or throw me a lifeline and send the question up. But let's say the bill was a million a month. It's not a million a month, but let's say it was. Or you can say $100 just so we can do easy math. Uh, we're, our bill is probably about 60% analytics and about 40% other. And uh, of the other, let's say, I don't know, half of that is probably yeah. associated with the web stuff and half of that is associated with infrastructure-type services. Tim's, Tim's gone up, so... Oh, that's good, okay, all right. So all right, I learned a few things from Tim here. Um, so anyway, it, it, the, the amount of the bill that it, uh, is it's surprising to me how much goes to just establishing the pilots, pilots of just running in places. Uh, and and we've, we've recently embarked on, we started in Amazon East and we've got you know, multiple AZs within a region, but uh, to get the resiliency where we want it, uh, we're taking a position that we wanna run in the East, we wanna run in Ohio and we want to run in Oregon. So we got to kind of repeat those implementations everywhere. And when we repeat those implementations, uh, like Anne-Marie said earlier, we don't want to leave the lights on and have all this stuff running where that shared services part of the bill gets outrageous. So you, you got to figure out uh, auto-scaling uh, on a lot of this stuff to, to optimize your bill. So, but I would say maybe 25% is the shared services stuff. Tim, is that fair? Okay.
0: Four minutes. Any, anyone else? Someone on a mic. so he, uh. Hi. Uh, Chris Thompson, JP Morgan Chase. Inspirational story. Thanks
1: for sharing it. Um, I'm curious. We, too, suffer from the freeze period. And it's <laughs> quite an incentive that uh, you gave application teams and, uh, an out from the freeze period mm-hmm. if they've got tight CICD pipeline. Uh, how did you get people comfortable with that?
2: Oh, we could talk about that at length. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would say, in a nutshell, we have built quality gates into the pipeline that produce evidence that certain tests have been run, um, and that's how, I mean, that's how we've done it. Like what
0: evidence? Tell me more about that.
2: Okay, so so there's a series of, um, you know, every uh, microservice that goes through the pipeline has to have functional testing. It has to have run through security scans, various security gates, Um, We automatically create a change record with that evidence attached. Um,
1: Yeah, I I think if you look at any is that
2: that good? (laughs) Yeah,
1: if you if you look at any best practice on what a good pipeline has, um, I think if you do that and you systematically provide the evidence and you still produce the change record, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, I think you can get your ops guys comfortable.
2: Yeah, we can, we can talk a little bit more offline. There is an initial conversation that the app team has to have with change management. where We'll ask them a series of questions. They'll want to understand the risk associated with the microservice and what dependencies might exist, but we've been able to get over that hurdle.
0: Yeah, I a... over here.
2: Uh, oh, God. Are you asking uh, about the tooling in the CICD pipeline? Yeah, so we work very closely with the security team who provide the requirements, and then in partnership with them, we research the tools. So we do static code analysis. We also do um, open source uh, scanning as well. Open source... Um, there's a number of um, uh, security test cases have to be written, so every piece of code has to have a certain... Um, number of security test cases associated with it that had been predefined by our security team based on the type of workload. And we have, and we have a
1: hefty agenda left yeah. to continuously shift left on security mm-hmm. into the pipeline. So, you know, one of the things we're tortured by is we are custom building a pipeline, and, you know, is it at some point do you say, hey, let's jump on the AWS pipeline, <laughs> right? But we would still probably be left with still a lot of integration work to... Uh, invoke a lot of the tooling that uh, we would still want to use back at Vanguard, but uh, pipeline is never done is kind of one of the That's things I'm happen. learning, all right? Remember when we first met, I said,
0: you're never done, and
1: you yeah. said, oh, you're a consultant. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now he's he He is a consultant, he is a Giants fan, too. So. <laughs> he always gets that in. We're, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Great questions, but we're going to... Park. How about this guy's been standing for a while. We'll close with him, right? All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a quick one. It's around when you were moving to bimodal and you, the skills gap. I was just interested on in how much was the retraining versus hiring? Uh, give me the question one more time. I want to make sure I understand When it. you're moving into bimodal, for everything that's, you know, we were working on the CIA and um, DevOps and things, how much were you able to retrain your current staff versus having to hire? Uh, look, I, this is one of those things I think... Uh, is a do-over, but when it comes, if you said specifically the staff, um, a lot of the, you know, you guys up front who are from Vanguard, I think, would say the same thing. A lot of the folks who are our 2 pizza teams building contemporary cloud-native software assets, they're pretty much the uh, engineers we had working on the old monoliths and so forth. Now, look, we, we, we introduced probably 10, 15% of, you know, new hires every year into the organization, but, uh, you know, it, it's pretty much, you know, Hey, we had people move from client server to web and net centric type apps and they're moving into building cloud native apps. Um, so it, it hasn't been that we had to go outside to, to bring the talent in. We certainly did some very selective hiring of rock stars to help us with the cloud journey. Uh, but in terms of the app dev teams, I think they're just evolving. And as Anne Marie mentioned earlier, a good do over for us would have been a better change management practice to uh, coach and train app dev teams on how to build cloud-native software. I wouldn't exactly say we hit it out of the park on that one.
0: You hiring? You guys hiring?
2: Always.
1: Yeah, we're always hiring.
2: Always.
0: All right, right, thanks, guys.
2: We'll park over here for a couple of minutes.